Uh, Then as we turn our attention to the reading and the considering of the Word of God this morning, we begin by reading from 1 John 3. In your pew Bible, you find this on page 1,400. And then the words of our text this morning are taken from Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2, and you can find this if you're using the Pew Bible on page 1,346. Uh, So we first read from 1 John chapter 3, uh, and then we'll move to our text from Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2. We read as follows from 1 John 3. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he who was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Uh, Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods, and sees his brother in need, and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Now we turn then to the words of our text this morning from Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love 
as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Our congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll notice with the text selection this morning uh, that we are not, you might say, devoting uh, a specific passage to the day of Pentecost. We recognize that this Sunday is the Sunday in which we uh, especially remember that great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Uh, allow me just a brief word of explanation uh, why we've continued on with our series of sermons through the book of Ephesians. Uh, first of all, last year, if my records are right, we considered Acts 2 and the historical narrative of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of the day of Pentecost. Uh, also, several weeks ago, we looked at Lord's Day 20 of the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, which deals with the article of the Christian faith, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Uh, we looked there at the person of the Holy Spirit uh, and something of His work uh, more broadly considered. Uh, but third, also, the text that we have before us uh, and really this section of the Apostle Paul's epistle to the Ephesians is all tied together with the influence or the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, the command to walk in love, the command to be imitators of God is a command that flows out of the accomplishment of redemption through the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But these commands, the command to walk in love, the command to walk in love thereby imitating God Himself is a commandment that we will never be able to fulfill by our own strength. Uh, but it is a commandment that will begin to find partial realization within our lives underneath the influence of the Holy Spirit within our hearts both as individual persons, uh, but also as a collective body, as a congregation. Uh, and so as the Holy Spirit conforms us, as Romans 8 verse 29 says, to the image of His Son, uh, we will find that we progress in imitating God. Imitation, it has been said, is one of the greatest forms of flattery. Uh, the little children maybe can understand something of this illustration. Oftentimes, little children will pretend uh, to do what their dad does or to do what their mom does. Or maybe you can spread it out even to uh, a second or third generation. Uh, you might imitate your, your grandfather. You might imitate your grandmother. And oftentimes, uh, as you mature in life, someone may ask you, well, why do you do this that way? Oh, why, why do you use this, this type of tool? You know, why do you use DeWalt instead of Milwaukee? Oh, why are you a John Deere man instead of an international man? And different reasons can be given, but oftentimes at the end of the day, it's because my father was or because my mother was. Imitation is a form of flattery, not just in some type of superficial way, but oftentimes we imitate, we live after the pattern of those whom we love. And picking up on this basic principle, the Apostle Paul sets forth uh, this exhortation, be imitators of God as dear children. In the introduction, I also want to stress this point, doctrine 
leads to life. Knowing what we know about God ought to find expression in our daily life. And to encourage us in that, we turn to this theme, imitators of God, noticing in the time allotted to us, first of all, the focus of the imitation, and then secondly, the action in the imitation, and then thirdly, the motive for the imitation. So the Apostle Paul, in this section that deals with the imperatives, the commands, flowing out of the indicatives or the, the facts, the fact of redemption uh, leads to the duty of a sanctified life. The Apostle Paul gives this exhortation to be imitators of God. Notice, first of all, the focus is a focus of reverence to God and appreciation for Christ. A sincere, genuine, heartfelt, consistent piety or reverence for God is behind this exhortation. I remind you of the call to worship this morning taken from Psalm 145. God is greatly to be praised because God is great. Now that applies specifically to corporate worship and the call to call to worship, uh, but it also can apply to all aspects of life. God is great. God is holy. God is infinite in all of His perfections. Uh, God is infinite in His grace, and God is infinite in His mercy. And the more we come to know God, and the more we study God, and the more we are influenced by the reality of God's greatness, this ought to, this must produce as the Spirit blesses this truth, this knowledge to our heart, this has to produce a certain reverence for God. Not a slavish fear, but an honoring of God. So that God in our mind and God in our heart would be great and greatly to be praised. And this reverence to God, of course, comes through the diligent, humble study of God's self-revelation. As that study is blessed, by the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. But along with the study of God also then comes an appreciation for Christ. The Apostle Paul in his epistles cannot write about God apart from the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Now we well know that there are three persons in the Trinity Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we speak of God in this way because this is how God has revealed Himself in His Holy Word. But you might say that there is a certain preeminence of attention paid to the second person of the Trinity, Christ. And I believe it's fitting for us to emphasize this also on the day of Pentecost because what does the Spirit love to do? The Spirit... The Holy Spirit loves to exalt the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Now, this is one of the great errors of the so-called charismatic movement, that they divorce the work of the Holy Spirit away from Christ, and, and they lose that connection, and, and they put the Holy Spirit up on a pedestal uh, apart from Jesus Christ. But the Holy Spirit's not pleased with that. The Holy Spirit's entire ministry is to exalt the person and the work of Jesus Christ by applying the power of Christ's redemptive work into the heart's 
and in the lives of the people of God. And so when we come to appreciate Christ underneath the influence of the Holy Spirit, you notice in verse 2 that when we will walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. So with a reverence towards God, with a profound appreciation for the greatness of our God, and also then an appreciation for the work of Jesus Christ, especially in His substitutionary, redemptive work, which we'll come back and consider a little bit more specifically in our third point, this is the focus. The focus upon God, and the focus especially upon the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ. And now I want to step back as we transition to ask a word of application. What is the primary focus of your life? What is number one in your life? What do you live for? Now there are a variety of legitimate reasons as secondary focus points. So a man might say, well, I am dedicated to my wife and to my family, and we would say, that is good and that is well. Or a man may say, well, I, I love my work. That also, understood appropriately, is good. But what is the first commandment? No other gods before me. And things that are good, properly understood, and properly placed can become things which are evil if they are exalted to that primary position. And so I ask you, as I ask myself, is number one focus in your life a reverence for God? and an appreciation of Christ. This is the focus of being imitators of God. Well, what then is the action? You may think of a, of a, young, a young child imitating his father, walking like his father walks, doing the work that his father does. You might think of a, of a young daughter uh, going through all of the motions that she sees her mother go through uh, in her day-to-day activities. Well, what exactly does it look like when we as spiritual children, being adopted by the grace of God, what will it look like when we imitate our Heavenly Father? The description of the action, first of all, uh, is one of a comprehensive conduct. You'll notice if you look more specifically at our text, verse 2, walk. Now, this is being used figuratively speaking. It's not referring to the gait of our step, uh, the length of our stride, things like that. Uh, But this word walk is something that is comprehensive that includes the entire totality of our life. Walk. And the great danger, I should say a great danger, not necessarily the greatest danger, but a great grave danger is what I call the danger of compartmentalization. A compartmentalization to our life that reveals differences in how we conduct ourselves, maybe in the public realm as compared to the private realm. 
so that we, we, we look one way when we are in front of certain people, but then when we're not in front of those same people, then we, we have a different manner of life. So Sunday morning at 9.30, there we are, with all of the conservative boxes checked. But at the office on Monday morning, well, then our mode of life is different. Or on Friday night. Or in the secrecy of our own interaction with our electronic devices. The word walk here doesn't allow for that. In every single area of life, be imitators of God. On Sunday morning, in the congregation, Monday afternoon, perhaps at the sales meeting, Tuesday night at the livestock auction, Friday night hanging out with your friends in public and in private. See to it that you walk in a way that imitates, that imitates God. And the display of the action is that of love. Now you'll notice, of course, that this theme is woven throughout the second part uh, of the epistle of the Ephesians. This is not a a new topic that the Apostle Paul brings up uh, in verse 2 of chapter 5, but rather you might say he's he's kind of pumping the brakes from his his hard-hitting specific applications to conversation, to uh, sexual activity, and those types of things, and he's temporarily underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's stepping back a a bit, and he's saying, in a comprehensive way, the entirety of your life is to be characterized by love. And and this, of course, correlates so well with what Jesus Christ said when he was questioned as far as the commandments, uh, and he summarized the commandments, all ten, with really the one imperative, love. Love, first and foremost, God with the entirety of your being, but then also as that vertical relationship is characterized by love, so also the horizontal relationship, uh, the interpersonal relationships also ought to be characterized by love. And so what exactly is love? Love is a selfless, sacrificial service. And I just want to emphasize uh, this morning once again, this, uh, this idea of, of, of selfless. Because the, the root of sin is love of oneself, an unbiblical love of oneself, a distorted love of oneself. Well, what sin is really is for a person to be turned in upon themselves. And, and, and when a person is turned in upon themselves, then they lose that proper biblical perspective of looking upon the greatness of God. And the greatness of God is then replaced in their mind by the centrality of themselves. And this is exactly what happened with, with Eve. 
underneath the influence of Satan's deception, which we'll look at this whole idea of deception, Lord willing, next Sunday morning, underneath Satan's deception, Eve lost the awareness of this focus upon the greatness of God and His provision. Remember, God had provided to Eve and also, of course, to Adam this wonderful habitat, this wonderful context in which they could enjoy fellowship and life. Uh, They had a beautiful garden, and they had trees of which they could eat, except for one. And, And what Satan did is he came and he deceived Eve, and he distorted the reality, and he said, look at this one tree of which you are forbidden. And Eve then looked upon it, and she lost the the awareness of the greatness of God. And she became turned in upon herself, and and she said, yes, this is desirable. And she took and she ate. And Adam also lost uh, this focus upon reverence for God and appreciation for the greatness of God, also in his provision. And, And he fell underneath the deception also of Satan. And rather than heeding the commands of his Creator, fell subject to the temptation that had come through Eve and also then through his own helpmeet. Sin ultimately is selfish. Love, understood biblically, is selfless. And this is radical. I acknowledge that. And this is countercultural because the world says, consider yourself first. Fight for your own self. Stand up for yourself. On and on and on and on the world goes. But now you and I have this decision to make. Are we going to follow the pretended wisdom of this age, which is nothing but foolishness, Or are we going to submit ourselves to this command to walk in love in a comprehensive aspect applying to every single realm of our life? Are we going to live with selfless dedication to serving our Lord in the entirety of our life? Well, why would we do such a thing? Why would I live in such a way Why would I love in such a way? Well, that brings us into our third point, the motive for the imitation. I believe it's one of the expressions of the grace of God that when He gives commands, He also gives motives for the commands. These are not just dropped arbitrarily as if God were some cruel taskmaster and just wanted to make us dance on the end of the string like puppets and God just said, imitate me in love. But rather, he gives the motive when he points out the fact that Christ also, in verse 2, Christ also has loved us. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us. And this is part of the imitation. So the motive for such a way of life, a motive for dying to my own self and Living a life of selfless, sacrificial service is found in the motive of divine love. Why is it uh, that Christ gave himself for us? Notice verse 1, because we are dear children. 
children by virtue of adoption, but that adoption has its origins all the way back in the eternal decree of the triune God. Because this is the practical question many times. Why should I selflessly love? Because you are a child of God. And from eternity past, God selflessly loved you. Not because you deserved it. Not because you somehow distinguished yourself from the rest of the fallen realm of humanity. But just simply because God determined to love you. Notice just three aspects of this love, this divine love. It is completely unconditional. You know, sometimes we'll speak this way even at an earthly level. You know, maybe you'll look at, oh, maybe boys and girls, you see a picture of a little puppy. You go, oh, that puppy's so lovable. Right? It's easy to love a, a cute little puppy. You don't, have to, you don't have to work at trying to love a cute little puppy. And I don't mean to gross you out, but just by way of illustration, the other day I was driving down 163, and there was a dead raccoon in the middle of the road. Roadkill. Now you wouldn't say, oh, that's so lovable. You know, there's a difference between a cute little puppy and roadkill. Which one do you think correlates better to our condition apart from grace? You think God looked at you like a cute little puppy and just said, oh, I can't help but love that person. They're so cute, so bubbly, so fun, so energetic. even when we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. God's love for us is completely unconditional. It's also unchangeable. I think there have been many, many, many a pet owner who fell in love, if we can use that word lightly here, with a puppy, only to find their emotions changed when that puppy began to chew on shoes, perhaps began to chew on furniture, perhaps began to grow and lose some of that puppy appeal. But God's love is unchangeable. Just reflect on that for a moment. God's love for you has been consistent from all of eternity, and it will be consistent into all of eternity. Never fading, not just some fickle emotion that on one day says, yes, I love him or her, and the next day says, I'm not so sure. Unchanging is the love of God. 
In addition, consider that this love is from a greater object to a lesser object. Now, not to minimize the reality that human beings are created in the image of God, but while we recognize that we are created in the image of God, there is still an infinite gulf between ourselves and God. And yet God loves us. You know, sometimes you hear stories of maybe a prince, you know, high on the so-called social status, falling in love with, with some poor peasant girl, and this makes for wonderful little stories, I guess, maybe even a Hallmark movie or two. And, and you kind of step back and go, oh, wow, what an amazing love story that, that the prince fell in love with the peasant, but yet they're both human beings. But what a wonder that the eternal God loves you. A creature of the dust endowed, yes, with a soul, but still a creature of the dust. God loved us. Notice that emphasis. Christ, verse 2, loved us. And because He loved us, because the holy infinitely glorious God loved us, creatures of the dust who then rebelled against Him, who sinned against Him because of that great love which John talks about. Behold, what manner of love is this, John says? What type of love is this? This is something that is beyond human experience. But because of the reality of this manner of redemptive love, so let us also then walk in love. Be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice of God for a sweet-smelling aroma. And this draws us closer to the cross, you might say, because there at the cross, as you see the eternal Son of God along with the two natures, the human nature, especially body and soul, suspended on that cross, There you see the love of God. Now this is not just some type of moral influence theory of the atonement. Much more is happening there. There is a transaction that is being undertaken as Christ provides the substitutionary atoning sacrifice. But the motive for the provision of that sacrifice is love. And if you ever find, as I'm sure you do, as I do also, if you ever find it difficult to love at a horizontal level, take your objections to this command and go to the cross. And I speak figuratively here, but look at your dying Savior and you tell Him that you can't love. You have an unreconciled situation with your fellow man? Fair enough. You go to the cross, and you stand at the foot of the cross, and you look at your Savior as he cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And you tell him, I will not be reconciled with that person. 
You're ready to give up on a relationship? Well, you go to the cross then, and you look at the incarnate Son of God expressing an unchangeable love, an unconditional love, and you say to that Savior, well, I just fell out of love. I just don't love him or her anymore. And if you have the courage to do that, then I have to say you don't understand the redemptive love of God. But before you simply say, I will not, I cannot love my fellow man, first consider the love of Christ for his own. Because I dare say that anyone who is filled with the Holy Spirit, as they stand at the foot of the cross, and as they hear those words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And as they hear the echo down throughout history, it is finished. Has to walk away from the cross saying, I will by the grace of God and by the Spirit of Christ imitate God. And I will love even as I am loved.